Welcome to the Life Pro Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of having Terry Tucker, who is the founder of Motivational Check LLC and author of Sustainable Excellence. Today's topic is the four truths, which I'm excited to delve deep into uh, your story today and to hear about these four truths, because we had a chance to chat about how remarkable your life has been and all the things that you've been through. But before we get into that, Terry, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, Oma, thanks for having me on. I, I am really looking forward to talking with you today. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version here. Uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago, oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice or looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I actually went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college and you know, I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree and look back now and realize I, I knew absolutely nothing about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. That was the good news. The bad news was I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, moved to hospital administration after that. Then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of my law enforcement career, I was a, a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After law enforcement, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020, but for the last 11 years have been battling this rare form of cancer. And I guess just to round it out, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Wow. You've certainly lived a remarkable life, and there's so many dimensions to all your experiences. And I'm excited to, to delve deep uh, into our topic of for the four truths. Uh, but before we get into that, tell us a little bit more about sustainable excellence and why you chose to write that book. Yeah, Sustainable Excellence was really a book born out of two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who had moved to the area in Colorado where my wife and I live with her fiance, and the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. She got real quiet for a while. Then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about, finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn, not to just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I, I didn't want to give them that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I, I didn't want to give them that. I mean, not that those aren't important. They are. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with them. So I spent some time and, and was taking notes and sort of had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle. Or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally, I, I had my leg amputated as a result of my cancer journey, um, and I had a three or four month period where I was healing after that amputation, 
And I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence, the 10 principles, the leading your uncommon and extraordinary life came to be. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, so getting to our topic, uh, we talked about when we first talked, we talked about your four truths. So tell us, tell us what are your four truths? So the four truths I have them here on a post-it note. So they're, and I see them multiple times every day. So they constantly get reinforced in my mind and, and they're just one sentence each. So here they are. The first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one I, I look at kind of as a legacy type of truth, and it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one I think is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I refer to the four truths kind of a as the bedrock of my soul. I think they're just a good place to be able to start to try to build a quality life off of. Yeah. And speaking about your journey um, and your battle with cancer, how did how did battling 11 years change your life and your perspective? Yeah, when I found out I had cancer, you know, I was just like everybody else. I'm a husband. I was a dad. I was coaching basketball. I had my own company and that. And and I I had this incredibly rare form of melanoma that appeared on the bottom of my foot. And, you know, I remember initially, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. You know, first it was, well, I can't possibly have cancer. I've, I've done everything right in my life. I've eaten right. I've gone to the doctor for a physical every year. I've exercised. I don't abuse drugs or alcohol. And, that. and then you get to a point where I was mad. It was like, I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life, you know? And then there was sort of a bargaining with God. Our, our daughter was in high school when uh, when I got cancer. And it was, look, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then it, I got I got a little down, a little, little depressed. And then I got to a point where it was like, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck, for lack of a better word. I don't like these cards that I've been dealt, but I'm going to have to deal with this the best way I can. I, you know, when I was diagnosed, the, the form of melanoma I had was a death sentence. They All they could give me was, we can cut it out. Other than that, we have no drugs, we have no medicines we can give you, and you'll be lucky to live two years. And it's been 11 years now. So I don't put a lot of stock in doctors who tell, you know, people, yeah. oh, you only got six months or stuff like that. Doctors don't know you. They don't know that your kids get married next year. They, they don't know that you're that you want to be at that event or, you know, it's going to be your 25th wedding anniversary and you want to celebrate that with your spouse. So there's there's so much that goes into just the physical part of having a disease like that. So, you know, a lot of things went through my mind, but then you just kind of at least I did kind of hunker down and realize that, all right, I got to fight this and I've got to do it the best way I can. And Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm not. I don't have all the answers, but, you know, the, the four truths are something that have definitely, I think, yeah. helped me. And and I, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but I, I offer them to people as here. Maybe it's something that will work for you, depending on what you're going through. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you went through something serious and, uh, you know, we talked about this offline re recently. I, I, I 
went through a battle of shingles and I've kind of had to experience pain. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to my extent, you know, maybe it's tolerable, but how, how do you, you know, we talked about this in your four truths. What, how do you define pain? What, is, what does that mean to you? I, I think pain is, is any kind of a signal that your, your, your body, your, your mind, your emotions, your soul sends to you to say, Hey, something's not right here. You know, something yeah. needs to be checked out or looked at or examined and maybe changed in your life. So, I mean, we all think of pain as something physical. You know, I, right. I broke my leg, my leg hurts, or I had surgery, this this incision is bothering me and things like that. Or you had you had shingles, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that that pain associated with that. So, yeah, I mean, we think of it as physical pain, but I, I also think it's it's emotional pain, it's psychological pain, it's spiritual pain and things like that. I don't think it's just limited to our to our actual bodies. And do we, can we, con I mean, so what you're saying is we shouldn't try to control the pain by subduing the results. We should try to get to the bottom of the origination of the pain and, and alleviate the pain. I, I think it depends on the type of pain. I, I mean, it, the, the psychological part, you know, I, I gave you the four truths and people have asked me, you know, is, is, is one of those truths more important than the other? And I used to say, no, I think they're all equally important. But the more I read, the more I, I learn, I think the, the first one of controlling your mind or your mind is going to control you really is the most important. Because, you know, right. when, when you're especially with physical pain, when you're dealing with physical pain, you, you've got to get on top of that right away. Or that pain is going to lead you to a to a dark and ugly place where, the, you know, where the demons, yeah. so to speak, lurk. Yeah. And, and you're not going to get you're not going to be able to get past that. And so, you, you know. And, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm some Superman. I am I, certainly not. But I, I realize I know what to expect with my treatments now and things right. like that. And I know there's a point where it's like, you know what? I don't want to do this, but I know I'm going to have to. And I got to get on top of this because if I don't get on top of my brain, my brain's yeah. going to get on top of me. And it, it's going to be a very difficult journey to go yeah. through that treatment. Understood. Yeah. Um. So you spoke of you know, in your truce, you spoke of, we, we talked about purpose, finding purpose in life, and to extent, maybe leaving a legacy. Um, how important do you think that is for, for all of us to be able to leave a footprint on future generations or on society in general? Like to, is that, is that vital for all of us to, to achieve? I think it depends on how you define legacy. I, you know, I was reading an article and I'm, I'm trying to remember where where it was, but this I, I was actually depressed when I finished reading it. This guy was talking about he gave he gave names of people, and I had no idea who these people were. But they, they were nineteenth yeah. century, you know, uh, Oscar winners or you, you know, uh, famous people, people that at that time that lived would have known who those people people were. You know, now a hundred years later, or you know, I have no idea who that person is. You know, these were these were people that made a difference or at least thought by other people's standards that they were making yeah. a difference. So I, I don't you know, legacy, I think, is important in the lives that we touch. Now, yeah. you know, are, are we going to find the cure for cancer? Are we going to, you know, develop, uh, I don't know, space travel, you know, to other planets and, you know, warp drives like Star Trek or something like that? Most of us, no, we're, we're not going to have any involvement in that at all. But I do think it's. I guess it's just a different way of looking at life. And, and let me let me kind of give you this example. 
we seem to think that we are born empty and that when we finish and we get out of school and we kind of get into life, whatever that is, that our job is to fill ourselves up. You know, I got to get a good education. I got to get a good job, make a lot of money, drive a nice car, have a nice wife, a nice family. And, and, we, and we, we take all this stuff in and we, and we fill ourselves up. And by doing that, that is somehow going to make us fulfilled. That is going to be our legacy, our children and what we've done. But what I found is that it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful in our lives already inside of us. We just need to find that and pull it out and use it to our benefit. And so it's not so much what I can get as much as it is what I can give in terms of, you know, being born full, our responsibility, I think, should be to empty ourselves out in our lifetime to, you know, for the betterment, certainly of ourselves, but of our families, of our communities, of our businesses, of our God, whatever, whatever it is that you believe. And if you look at it that way, I mean, I, I, you probably know a lot of people. I know a lot of people that by most standards would say that's a successful person. They have more money than they're ever going to need. They have multiple right. homes. They have all this stuff. But in a lot of cases, they're miserable. Right. You know, they're not happy people. Whereas the people who say, okay, I have certain gifts. I have certain talents. I'm going to empty those out for the betterment of the people that I come in contact with. That to me is more of an important legacy than, you know, yeah. leaving, you know, putting your name on a school building or, you know, having somebody name a road after you or something like yeah. that. What, what do you say to those people listening that, you know, like you said, they have all the material things they need, but they feel empty inside. What, what action could they take to change their lives? <clears throat> I, I guess the, the let me let me sort of tell you a story. You know, I I don't want any of your listeners to think that that you know I'm like Superman. You're looking at me right now. You know, there's no S on my chest. I do not have a cape and fly around with magical powers. I during my cancer treatments, I have bad days. I, I get down. I cry. Feel sorry for myself. But when I do, I find that I'm looking in inward. I'm looking internally, and I find a real simple way. To, to get out of that funk, so to speak, so to speak, to, to you know, to make a, make a difference is to go find somebody else to make a difference in their life. Go yeah. somebody, you know, I, I'm at the hospital every three weeks for my treatment. I can always find people that, hey, how you doing? Do you, you, even if it's a kind word or you want to have a cup of coffee or do you want to talk? Now, all of a sudden, my focus is not on me and how bad I'm feeling or, or whether it's psychological feeling yeah. or, or, or physical feeling. It's now... I'm, I'm trying to make a difference, I'm trying to make a positive difference, a connection in someone else's life. And I think that's the big thing, connection. You know, I mean, I think if COVID taught us anything, it's the realization that we need each other. We need to be together. We, we need to, to interact with people. And, you know, I mean, it's great, you know, work-life balance, working from home and all that kind of stuff. But look at all the mental illness, look at all the suicides, look at the drug and alcohol issues that, that occurred because of COVID because yeah. we weren't together. So I, I think we, we kind of need to be with each other. And if you do that, I think you can, you can leave a legacy. You can touch another human yeah. being in a positive way. Yeah. Sometimes we just need to take a step back and just realize that, that how much we need each other and how much we have to give. And uh, I love your perspective on, you know, being born full. And I think that gives a great idea and sense of like, 
how fortunate a lot of us are and uh we need to be more grateful and put out more positivity in the world rather than worry about what we don't have because those material things will not will not give us satisfaction so I, I appreciate that so going back a little bit you know further to to your fight for cancer you know it was uh, and or a lot of different you know one of your truths was about quitting quitting is uh an easy way out like you know it's easier just to give up than to fight 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 fighting is hard um how do you how did you stay strong how, how do you how do how do we stay strong when we're battling you know we're all battling our own demons in in a way oh absolutely and and most of us don't know the demons that that other people are battling um i remember when i when i went to college um the, the citadel is a military college and i remember one year we had uh, a president of the college by the name of, of Admiral James Stockdale. And Stockdale had been a fighter pilot during the Vietnam War, had been shot down during a mission over North Vietnam, and spent eight years as a prisoner of war. And I did not did not spend a lot of time around Admiral Stockdale, but I remember being at an event one time where somebody asked him, who are the people that survived that brutality, that abuse, that torture? And he said, let me tell you who didn't survive. He said it wasn't the big, strong, tough guys that thought that they could handle any amount of abuse or torture. And this one was kind of interesting, too. He said it wasn't even the optimists. You know, these were the people that thought they would be either rescued or let go by Thanksgiving, Christmas and Easter. And Thanksgiving, Christmas and Easter would come and go and they wouldn't be released. And those people would die of a broken heart. He said the people that survived were the people that understood what they could control and controlled it, which according to him as a prisoner of war, he said basically for us, it was our breathing and the thoughts in our mind. Everything else was at the discretion of the enemy. When we ate, when we slept, when we were tortured, when we got mail, when we got exercise, everything else was at, at that the discretion of somebody else. Now, most of us are not prisoners of war or prisoners in any, in any way. So we have a little bit more ability to control, to control things. But I think where the, where the problem and the anxiety comes in is people try to control things that are outside of their purview, that are outside of what they can control. And that produces anxiety and stress. And, and you know, it, that manifests itself in physical symptoms and things like that. So I guess I would say, understand what you can control and control it. And I think if you do that, things will be much better all the way around for you. And learn to react properly to the things you can't control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I, I would have to say, I mean, I've had stretches of time where I just feel like constantly I'm having to deal with problems in various parts of my life and it compounds and it gets to a point where, you know, I try to stay calm, but I break at times. And, uh, I try to remember that I try to remember this is nothing I can control. This is something I just have to deal with. And if it's not the end of the world, if I'm still healthy, if I'm still breathing, then I can carry on and I can move on and I can, you know, good will come with the bad eventually. And, I, you know, just staying positive and manifesting the positive. Like I'm a firm believer of that, but firm believer of positive energy and, and, you know, just dealing, we're all having to deal with problems. So, you know, it's, 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 if sometimes it feels like the world is revolving around us, but, you know, we're all going through the same similar battles in our own problems. We so, are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. 
No, I was just going to say, you know, when, when I was growing up uh, in Chicago, there was a basketball coach at Indiana University by the name of Bobby Knight. Yeah. And Knight had a quote that went, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach. You can say what you yeah. want about his personality. But, you know, <laughs> a great coach teaching premier athletes to be excellent basketball players on the court. But right. what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything your physical body's going to do in terms of your overall success. Right. And I always, I always tell people, you know, we all talk to ourselves, whether we like to believe it or not. We all, we all have this sort of inner dialogue. And I always tell people to be very careful with that dialogue because we all become what we think. So if, like you say, you know, if you're thinking, oh, this is terrible and everything's overwhelming and blah, 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 blah. Eventually, yeah, you're you're hardwiring your brain to think this is terrible as opposed to, yeah, this is bad, but what can I learn from this? How can I grow? How is this going to yeah. make me a better human being? It's just a different way of approaching the same yeah. set of facts. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that 100%. You know, it's, it's just about having the right mindset and being positive and uh, don't let situations kind of bring you down. Uh, you bring up basketball, you know, so I'm a, I'm a huge basketball fan, grew up a big Laker fan. You know, basketball was always my life. So the fact that you played D1, I mean, that's, that's amazing. That was always my dream to be able to play. Obviously I wasn't, I was five, nine, five, 10. So I, I couldn't get the skills to develop, but what did you, uh, what did you learn as a basketball player as, as division one player? And what, how did that help set the foundation for, for the rest of your life? That's a great question. And I, you know, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to play division one basketball. I mean, it, it, the odds of doing that are so ridiculously against most people, but I think what, what team sports taught me, you know, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and played all the way up until I graduated from college at 21. And I, I think what team sports, at least for me, it was sports. I think it can be whatever team yeah. you're on. What it taught me was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, yeah. not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And so I, you know, I, I really, I think that was one of the, the biggest things that I learned. You know, certainly you learn time management skills, you learn how to be a good teammate, you learn how to lose, you learn how to be coachable. You, I, I mean, all the things yeah. that being part of a team that really kids can, especially, you know, I mean, certainly when you start playing at the college level and, and the professional level, you know, it, it's a little bit different, but I think yeah. that's what, what's so important about playing sports is, you know, yeah, it, it's sort of a microcosm of life, the good, the bad, everything gets played out, you know, in one afternoon or, or you know, or one yeah. game or whatever. And, and you realize how to handle those things. How do I handle yeah. winning? How do I handle losing? Do I know how yeah. to win? Do I know how to lose? You know, those are all things that we need to learn that hopefully those lessons will carry over in, into our lives. Yeah, I, I definitely echo those sentiments. I've had the pleasure of coaching my son's nine, nine, 10-year-old uh, or eight to nine-year-old YMCA league. And I've really, you know, been able to see the progression of the kids' maturity and the ability for, you know, especially at a young age, they develop these skills so much faster than we do as adults. And being able to like comprehend the meaning of teamwork and being in the right position at the right time and understanding instruction and just really working together towards the path of a common goal 
uh, you know, it's been very gratifying as a parent and, and a coach for them. And it's, you know, something I've been doing, I think it's now eight seasons in a row. Nice. And, uh, you know, we've had some success the last few few seasons, we won the championship. So, you know, it's really helped me as an individual to just really have that bond with my son and and his teammates. So I've been, I definitely see that in fruition as far as everything that you're, you're talking about. And I can imagine on a college level, it's just on another level, but uh, maybe a little bit more serious. But, uh, you know, on a, on a macro level, these younger kids who some of them come in with like, no discipline at all, and are now like, now listening and paying attention and to see that progress it's astonishing yeah and i I think it's important for parents to you know i I mean you know you see parents you know you see all these videos of parents you know yelling at referees you know at a at a grade school basketball game and you know and 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 yelling at the coach and stuff like that i'm like really you know i mean these kids are you know that are refing are making like you know 12 bucks an hour on a sunday morning to yeah the coach is giving up his time or her time and, and you're yelling at him? If you want to, you know, if you're yelling at him, you think you can do better? You go coach the team or something like yeah, that. I used, to, yeah. I used to always tell my parents in high school, that, like, look, I, I played in college. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. I promise you that if you don't tell me how to do my job, I won't come to your office and tell you how to do yeah. your job. You know? So. Yeah. I have to, I have to admit, I've gotten my share of fights with referees, but I've learned, I think the last situation I got really upset and the referee didn't talk to me and I was just trying to talk to him and he taught me a lesson. He, he, he basically told me, like, I'm doing the best that I can here right. and you're yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. And I just, you know, I, I realized that it, there was no, there was no benefit in me fighting and, and the, and that was being infectious to the kids. They started arguing. So now I've learned to not only calm down, but try to make sure that our kids are calming down and just kind of keeping their head in the game and, and everybody's doing the best that they can. And, well, however, however, uh, the chips fall, the chips fall, you know, we do our best, you know, going back to, you know, controlling what you can control, right? right? Like, I can't control his actions. Um, but I can live with the, I can live with the impact and and take it with stride, you know? Oh, I do. I, I used to tell my ask my players, like, how many fouls do you get during a game? And they're like, you get five. I said, No, you get three. Because the referee's going to have a bad day and he's going to make a bad call that, you know, you right. didn't foul the person. And then you're going to do something stupid, you know, that you know you shouldn't have done. So really, you only get three fouls. And when they when they start to look at it that way, it's like, OK, I, I you know, I want to concentrate on the fundamentals. I want right. to understand what coach is telling me and try to do that. And yeah. that's part of being coachable. That's, you know, and, yeah. and so many kids today, as you know, as a coach, are not coachable. Yeah. So who's your favorite basketball player of all time? I, I would have to say it's Michael Jordan. You know, I, oh, wow. I played against Jordan his freshman year in, in college. Wow. My senior year was the year they won the national championship. Yeah. A quick, funny story. Fast forward like 20 years later, my youngest brother is a basketball coach in Chicago and coached Michael Jordan's two sons. And he wow. said, one day we're at practice and it's toward the end of practice. And I'm teaching the kids to play and I look up and nobody's paying attention. And so I look <laughs> where the kids are looking, which was over to, by the door. And Jordan had come into the gym as a dad to pick his kids up and take them <laughs> home after practice. And my brother looked at him and said, hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind stepping out in the hall until practice <laughs> is over? And Jordan and his wife are incredibly gracious people. And he said, sure, coach, no problem. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to be a distraction. He said, I'll wait out in the hall. My brother thought later, 
I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball <laughs> to ever kick Michael Jordan out of practice. You know, I would have been like, "Hey, Mike, come over here." Yeah, exactly. Teach <laughs> me something. You know? <laughs> well, I, I definitely, you know, I admire Jordan. I've always been a Magic Johnson fan, and uh, I, uh, I grew up not only because I'm in LA, but like for me, Magic was the epitome of the perfect teammate because he uh, lifted his teammates up to their potential. He was always positive. He always wanted the best. And I feel like everybody that played with magic was a better player because of it. And I always, I always wanted to instill that same philosophy, not in, not only in basketball, but in life, you know, and, and even with this podcast, like I'm just, you know, if I can improve somebody's life just a little bit, even one person I've done my job and that's that's the platform that you know we're here to talk about um one last thing before we wrap this up i'm 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 sure a lot of people are interested in your experience with the with the SWAT team and and uh, working as a hostage negotiator um what was what was there what was the main lesson for you uh going through that yeah that's you know people always ask me about that and and you know the when when you're doing hostage negotiation the, the thing that, you know, I, I, I know all this stuff, you know, but then when it comes to applying it to like, you know, your kids, you know, the, the wild card is the emotion, you know, and it's like, you know, and, and so, yes, I know all this stuff. And then I would totally be an idiot as a, as a dad and do something that I'm like, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have done that. I, I, I guess a couple things. One is how we communicate. They, they gave us a formula fairly early on in our training. And the formula was, um, 738.55. And it had to do with how we communicate with each other. 7% of how we communicate are the words that we use. 38% of it was the tone of voice that we used with those words. And then 55% of it was our body language and facial expressions. So if you think about a police officer, about 99% of what we did was face-to-face -face with another human being. So, you know, if I'm talking to you and, you know, you're kind of looking around, I'm like, oh, well, maybe he's thinking about running or something like that. Or, you know, if you're standing there balling up your fists, maybe I think you want to fight me. And I can see that. And I can, you know, act accordingly. I can handcuff you. I can sit you down. I can put you in my car, whatever's appropriate. But as negotiators, we didn't have that 55%. We were not with the individual, you know, because we, we could be blocks away on the phone. We could be behind the locked door, whatever it was. And so we didn't have, you know, I may say something and I didn't see, you know, the person kind of roll their eyes like, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he said, you know, so we, we didn't have that luxury. So that was one thing, realizing how your body language really uh, affects your communication. And the other thing was the importance of listening. And I know your audience is probably going to be like, of course, idiot, you know, we, listening is very important. But no, what, what the difference between listening to respond versus listening to understand. You know, it's like, you know, all right, Omen, hurry up, say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents in. That's listening to respond versus, hey, Omen, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you, but help me to understand where you're coming from. Help me to understand that. And now all of a sudden we're having a dialogue. Again, go, what we were talking about earlier, we're connecting, yeah. you know, and, and if you can do that, you know, I think today in the world where we sp we're spending all this time yelling at each other. And when you're yelling at me and I'm yelling at you, neither one of us can understand what the other person is saying, let alone where the other person's coming from. So those are those are two things that uh, I learned. I, I could go on for hours about the other yeah. things, but those are two big things that I learned. So it really comes down to respecting 
the person you're talking to. Because if you value their perspective, even if you defer for a, an opinion, uh, it, it, keeping that respect is what really helps you move forward. It, it does. I mean, we used to, the another thing we learned was what was called tactical empathy, which was help me to understand where yeah. you're coming from, not so agree can, with it. I mean, you may be, you know, you may have killed three people. I'm not going to agree with what you did, but yeah. help me to understand where you're coming from. Because I mean, the overarching thing as a negotiator, the negotiator, whether it's boss, subordinate, you know, parent, yeah. child, husband, wife, it, it's all about creating trust, you know, yeah. and, and let's face it, you're, if you're trust. talking to me and you're surrounded by the police, you're probably having the worst day of your life. And right. I don't know you and you don't know me. And we're trying to con you know, connect on some level so that I can get you out safely. So it, it was it, it was a lot of very traumatic in a lot of a lot of ways yeah. and, and dealing with people that were very much in crisis. And about 90 percent of the time we were successful getting people out. But about 10 percent of the time, the people decided that, you know, like I said, if we're going after a homicide suspect and the guy knows that that he's caught, it's like, now nah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. Right. And they would decide to commit suicide. And while that was always tragic, I knew I did the best I could to try yeah. to get them out safely. Going back to what we said before, doing the best that you can. And, uh, you know, the, the four truths for me have been very powerful. And I hope that a lot of people, you know, I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of people and hopefully impact their lives moving forward. Um, as you know, Life Pro Podcast is about uh, concept is everything in life comes with a manual except for life itself. And that's what we're trying to do here is, is provide a platform where we're guiding people on ways how we can add value to your life. Um, one thing that I ask everybody is what is the one single thing you want to teach the world? Um, I guess, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give you this lesson in the form of a story. I, I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like. I had my foot amputated in 2018 and my leg amputated in 2020. She asked me what it was like to have those amputations. And I told her it certainly has not been easy. I'm still learning how to walk again. But what I did tell her was that cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody who's listening to us is. And we spend a great deal of time working on this, this house, this vessel that we call a body. And I'm not telling you, you know, not to go to the gym or not to eat right or not to get enough rest. But what I am suggesting is maybe in addition to doing that, Spend a little bit, little bit more time every day working on who you are, your heart, your mind, your soul. Because this body, we all know it's going to die. We all know it's going to decay. But who we are, the heart, the mind, and the soul, those things are eternal. And maybe we should spend a little more time working on them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I do a lot of that. I try and I, I, I could always do more. I could always do more. But, you know, it's really important for us to be present, understand you know, all the things that we can do to improve our lives and, and improve who we are uh, and make sure we're giving to others and putting putting that positivity out in the world. Was there uh, was there a book that you read that might have had the biggest impact on your life? You know, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I, I was actually was looking at this one. This this is a book called Legacy uh, by a man by the name of James Kerr. And, and this man embedded with uh, the New Zealand national rugby team, which by most accounts is the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. 
and, and I couldn't put it down. I mean, if I opened it up, there would be like notes in the margin and underlines and highlights and stuff like that. So I, I would encourage anybody to go out and read the book Legacy. Right. Looking forward to reading that myself. Thank you for suggesting that. I, I, it sounds remarkable. Um, last question for the day. How could uh, how could people follow you or get in touch with you? So I have a blog. Uh, it's called motivationalcheck.com. Every day I put up a, a, a new thought for the day. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. And you can certainly leave me a message. And that's all at motivationalcheck.com. I love that, Terry. I have to admit, you have, and no disrespect to my other guests, you, you have been my favorite guest so far. Thank so you. I feel honored to listen to your life story and all of your experiences. You're, you're an inspiration to all of us. Thank you for all you do. And, uh, you know, keep, we're all, we're all, we're all fighting. So we appreciate, uh, you know, leadership from, from you in, in all regards, you know, everything that you've done in your life, you know, that's, it's remarkable. I can't say I know many people that have, that have experienced as much as you have. So I thank you. Well, for thank you. I, I've been yeah. very lucky and I, and I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I look forward to, to keep in touch with you. I would love that. Thank you. I remind everybody to please like, follow and share, help us spread the word. Have a good day, Terry. You too.